everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. Finally, we're back. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And what is this podcast about? This is the slightly irreverent podcast about anything we feel like talking about. True. Very true. And we are married, in case you're listening for the first time. Um, we have four children. And now we have a really large vintage camper trailer parked in our driveway. My parents came over to see it today. And my dad's first words were, you got a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was free, though. Does that count for something? It counts for a lot. Yes. Sorry we have been so busy. We have been too busy to put out a podcast. I mean, this has been one really... June was nuts. Yeah. I think. Considering that half the country, people aren't even leaving their houses. <laughs> <laughs> I went to California and back last week, kind of not on a whim. Um, it was more of a kind of last minute. If we're going to do it, we should probably do it now. It I kept think, getting pushed back and pushed back and then decided to pull the trigger. Yeah. The trailer might notice. not have been there if I, if we'd waited any longer and the timing, but I didn't really decide I was leaving until the night before or the day before. So it was quite a bit of packing and then driving we camped the whole way though and I, I recorded all of it so i hope to have i want to put out a little video turn the whole renovation process into the longest running tv digital tv show ever i'll do one now and another episode in a year <laughs> so here it is we should do a little instagram there's a child going up the stairs okay we should do a little instagram tour of the inside of the camper since i don't think you've have you done a tour? No, I haven't done inside? a tour of the inside of the camper yet. It's not very... They need to see. All right. Inquiring, it's getting gutted. Inquiring minds want to know what it looks like Nobody's before. really inquired. To me, anyway. Everybody thinks <laughs> they, we're... I think everybody thinks we're just... They haven't inquired to me. I actually either. don't think they care. People just don't care what we're doing. That's generally how Which most of fine. the world operates. Which is fine. I'm okay with that. People don't care nearly as much about you... Either in terms of like them actually thinking a lot about you and criticizing you and worrying about what you're doing and what you look like as you think no. they do. Um, they don't. That's true. Um, interestingly, I had an, the the trip to California. My parents live in Emeryville. And Emeryville is like a four block or six square block plot of land, community, um, smack between Berkeley in the north, Oakland in the south, and the coast, you know, towards the west, and I don't know what was east, maybe more of Oakland, I don't know. But there's kind of this dividing line, like you drive from, you know, nice stuff into all of a sudden, it's there's graffiti everywhere, which is, I actually kind of liked, but not everybody really likes the graffiti, and apparently the city has a thing for it. But um, the experiences were very different. The first Home Depot we went to to get parts, so we showed up to renovate the trailer or to get the trailer ready for transportation and some work needed to be done. But my dad had a crew of guys that was, um, that Dan, his boss had tasked him to just get the trailers ready to get out of the lot because they had to go because the lot was being sold. Um, so anyway, we go to the first Home Depot we go to is in Oakland, deep Oakland. I think I counted outside of my dad, my son and I, I only saw one other white guy. Everyone else is black, Mexican or Asian. 
it was very nice. Everyone was super friendly. We all had to wear masks, but everyone was really friendly. And we get to Emeryville, which is uppity uppity. You know, Pixar's headquarters are there and several other major companies. Like, they're, you know, it's nice. It's, there's lots of white people and Asians and fine cars and all the things. And everybody's really rude. <laughs> they were rude and mean. I remember coming out of a restaurant. We'd sat on a patio to have dinner. And we were walking back and we weren't wearing masks because we're walking down the street and there's nobody around. And there was a guy walking in front of me and um, he gave me the dirtiest look. He's wearing a mask, gloves with takeout food um, and just giving me the stink eye. He was waiting at the, at the crosswalk and he just gave me that look like you, I dare you to come any closer to me without a mask, you horrible, evil person. And then on the same walk home, we were walking through this little park area and these two ladies were coming the other direction at us. And uh, one of them wasn't wearing a mask. One was. And we were cutting across the path because people were kind of sitting on park benches doing computers or reading books or whatever. They were just getting outside. And the ladies came forth. She looked up. She, her eyes grew really, really wide. She put her mask on and made as wide a circle around us as possible. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, in the meantime, we're chatting it up with people in Oakland and nobody really cares. I'm like, come on. It's one of the, not more than one of the few times I've been, like, annoyed with white people. So I, I see it. I get it. But that was an interesting experience overall. And I was like, man, I got to come back to Billings where we just don't have any culture. It's really interesting there. We do. We have a lot of mask wearers. I went to natural groceries today. Pretty much everybody was masked up there. But we're all white. We don't have much for ethnicity in this town no that's true which is fine but you know i didn't sense you know a lot of the stuff i went through down the block that was um vandalized during one of the first riots just right around the corner from my parents house and most everything is boarded up now um on purpose they just leave the boards up so no more windows yeah you know it's just it's the weirdest environment and it's not fun to really it wasn't really fun to be in but i don't know um yeah so anyway, that was an interesting experience. I preferred being in Oakland. Yes, you said that. <laughs> I did. I did. But I didn't sense any like I didn't sense any of the, you know, I feel like the narrative we're getting is not what's happening on the streets in the real world. Yeah. What we're hearing in the media, what we're seeing on Instagram everything else is not what most the, of America. Most of America not the is daily living their experience lives of and life. doing what they yes. have to do. And there's no like I'm not you know, I'm not walking around in majority black Oakland getting dirty looks from people. No, everybody's super friendly. There's like the, you know, and I know it exists. I know this is, there's systemic racism in every, but in every human heart. Um, but it, it wasn't overt, like the media and culture and everybody wants no, us to there see. There wasn't hostility. Just, it, there's no hostility there. It, it didn't exist. There is hostility in uppity whiteville when you're not wearing a mask people are very angry with you <laughs> my mom said the only time she got yelled at was at one of the grocery stores in emeryville because she like was not standing on her line or she forgot to put on her mask or something random like that um but it's just, i have it was, so many just, thoughts uh, and questions about the masks and the race but i'm not going to speak them it's probably wise anyway i just wanted to convey my experience which was largely fun um we took, we took, it took four days 
three day, two days to get the trip. Three days? How long was I there? Three days? You drove out two days, you were there two days, and you drove back for two days. Okay, yeah. My dad had, I mean, I, my dad saved me a ton of work because he had, you know, he does renovations. He's, they've got several really nice properties in Emeryville, and they're renovating them. But they're waiting for some permits to come through. So they're doing other projects in the meantime, keeping everybody busy. Um, and one of those projects was getting these trailers ready. So the guy, so his crew of Mexicans, he had four Mexicans that worked for him that were just, of course, they're brilliant. There's I, there's things that, I was like, I can't get this the ball off this hitch. My dad's, let me give it to Eduardo. He, he can figure it out. <laughs> and he did. He had it off in no time. I'm like, how does he, I should have paid attention. <laughs> yeah, you should have paid attention. <laughs> anyway, so they, but they had all the bearings packed. They got under and did some frame bracing. Um they swapped out uh, some wheels and tires because Dan, the guy who gave us the, my cousin who gave us the trailer, um, wanted to keep the the aluminum, the magnesium alloys on the trailer, and give me some brand new other steel wheels and tires off of a barbecue trailer that he's um, doing up for a guy. Um, so that was kind of nice. But um, just... okay, so what does packing the bearings mean? So, right. So the hub spins. I don't even know what a bearing is. Sorry. A bearing is a little steel ball. Okay. And anything that spins, well, not anything, 99% of things that spin like wheels and hubs and all sorts of things are little balls that spin around. So the wheels on my car are filled with little balls? It has bearings. Your wheels has your wheels have bearings in them. Mm-hmm. A lot of the new ones now are sealed and so they don't get any dust and grime and they'll last a very long time. Um, but you'll hear people go like you hear a wheel, I've got a wheel bearing going out or something and it's howling down the highway. Well, trailers are a much simpler design for the wheel hubs. You've got the axle spindle and then you've got the drum that sits on that and then the hub that goes over that and inside that hub is a little cone, uh, conical or conicular device, um, or it could be just a, a chamber. Conical. Conical? Con- con- I don't think conicular, conicular is a word. Conicular? Should be a word. I like that word. Um, or just a little chamber with some bearings in it, and there's grease in there, and that is what sits on the spindle. And it connects, so it's it's it sits between the, the axle and the hub. And so when the wheel spins, it's actually the bearings. It's the wheel spinning on the bearings and the bearings spinning on that hub. And obviously... Um, friction generates heat and so you pack them full of grease to keep the heat down ah so repacking them means just you pull the hubs off you don't shoot them and you actually pull the hubs the wheels apart you pull the hubs off and and like i think modern ones now i didn't the ones at least in this one all of the bearings are like a uh, contained unit and so you basically just pack grease all around that contained unit and slip it back in. Like, when I get like my mountain fingers bike, full of grease and yeah. you smear them in there? Yeah, you smear them in there. Or you can use, I bought a grease packer to do it with, but I didn't need to do it because it was already done. So we put the dust cap back on one of the wheels and it wasn't, there was some damage there. So we went and bought a new dust cap, but we couldn't attach it. So we duct taped it. And then, um, so I take off down the highway. And in the meantime, I decided to, a lot of the forums said, duct tape all the windows and doors because the vibrations the seals can be so old that the vibrations will vibrate them out in fact one of the front plexiglass curved windows was starting to to pop out a little bit when i got home but so i said well i'm gonna duct tape that and then i'm gonna shrink wrap it which was a good idea in theory um most of the shrink wrap held pretty well but all the shrink wrap in the front just got shredded it just could not from the wind it could not stand up to the wind 
but it did do do the part of keeping the door shut and i had trailer lights uh, the magnetic ones which are great if you have something to stick them to I was gonna say the aluminum yeah it won't stick, stick to it. aluminum so i duct taped i duct taped them and then wrapped them into the shrink wrap uh-huh. and it worked great they held the whole time in fact when i got to billing when i got to montana night before last i wanted to drive I, I didn't want to drive at night because I don't have running lights on the trailer. And this is a 37-foot trailer. Now, <laughs> put in perspective, a semi-trailer, what semi-tractor trailers haul, are 40 feet. I, this is a 37-foot camper, and I have no running lights. So at night, I can't see where my rear end is. So you're kind of loosely guessing a little bit. <laughs> so I get to so I get to the rest area, and I'm like, well, I'm, gonna, I wanna, I'm only an hour and a half away from home. It's dumb. I feel dumb to just pull over and, and pitch the tent for the night. So I jumped out, grabbed and tried to push the tail lights to the cor- to the very far outside corners as I could get them with however much wire I had. But the, sh- the shrink wrap was so tight, I could barely get it done. But I got it done enough so when I did turn, I could see where my, my rear corners were on both sides. Um, so anyway, I... I you know, and we get to California and he already had all this stuff done for me. Um, so I get on the road and start taking off and everything is fine. I'm just pulling off and checking quite frequently and um, cutting off loose pieces of shrink wrap and duct taping other pieces of shrink wrap. And the duct tape actually started to peel from the wind on the front of that trailer. So I, I applied, reapplied duct tape to the window seals a couple of times and everything seemed fine. So we get up the next morning and... Um, we get up the next morning and I, what was it? What, we, we'd spent the night outside BLM land, north of Wells, Nevada, my son and I, and I walked around, checked everything. I said, this is good. Tito really wanted to get up early in the morning. He's like, dad, can we leave at four in the morning again? <laughs> Funny kid. So yeah, well, we left at five. So we got up at five and I said, we'll get up and leave in the morning. And then when we're hungry, after we've had a chance to get some miles behind us and wake up, we'll stop and make breakfast and I'll do a, I'll do another walk around and noodle with my equalizer hitch a little bit so we end up getting an hour and a half in or an hour in we're, we're in jackpot nevada we pull off in a casino parking lot and there's an rv park next to us and we pull off into a casino parking lot and titus makes breakfast i hand him the sausage and the eggs and set up the grill for him and i was like here's the cooler i'm gonna work on this hitch and do my walk arounds so as i'm walking around the trailer i notice there's a piece of insulation hanging down I'm like i gotta pull that out so i crawl into the trailer and grab that as a piece of insulation only to discover all of the belly pan underneath the axles is in the rear is coming off most of the screws on the belly pan are rusting out the all the belly pan is intact and i'd run straps big tie down straps over the top or down the sides and underneath kind of just the girth of the whole thing i did three of those on the main sections of belly pans because i'm like they could stay but i don't want to risk them falling off on the on the interstate but these were these were probably could have stayed because all the front screws were still on, a couple of the middle ones. But I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to risk that. So I got underneath, and there's convenient frame uh, pieces of frame that I could hook some motorcycle tie-down straps to. So I just motorcycle strap that down. And I'm like, well, I smell brakes. I shouldn't smell brakes back here because I don't have brakes on the trailer. <laughs> yeah, I ran without trailer brakes the whole way. It's about a sixty. I'm guessing it's about a sixty-five hundred pound trailer 6,000 pound trailer something like that I'm like I shouldn't be smelling brakes so I go around and put, I touch all of the hubs and I, it's the it's the damaged one that smells 
and it's really hot. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. The sub's not supposed to be that hot, at least compared to the other three, which are still pretty cool. So I call my dad. My dad's like, yeah, you're not supposed to have hot hubs. You could have a hub going out. And these are 66-year-old. I mean, as far as I know, they're 66-year-old axles. So I was like, well, that's not good. Um, he's like, well, keep an eye on them and um, see if you can find a place. It's Saturday, but see if you can find a place in Twin Falls where you can get them looked at. Is our guy cool? So we wrap up breakfast, hit back on the road, and I, I bring my speed down to about 45 or 50. And I'm only about 25, 30 miles from twin falls so i pull over twice and the wheels just getting hotter and hotter and hotter it's like this is really bad so we stop pull over the side of the road and i just pull out my phone and i start calling around the rv shop in town the guy answered but he doesn't have any texts um not till monday i call a mobile rv repair guy and he's like i don't i don't have parts um but why don't i let me send you this other guy um down the street at laser line like, all right cool so he gives me the number and i call laser line guy named Craig answers uh, I tell him what's going on and he asks uh, how I know what the temperature is and I'm like you know I'm using my hand I'm just holding it. he's like how, how long can you hold it there and I was like eh, five seven eight seconds maybe because I actually got out and just tell it he's like okay so he's like you're probably sitting about 250 degrees 225 maybe somewhere in there not I mean you're definitely not at 400 which is I mean you're not imminent blowing it. it's not going to blow up imminently but it's um you know, if it was if it was that hot, you wouldn't be able to keep your hand on it at all. But hey, you may just be missing a bearing. We can go down to Napa, put a new bearing in. We don't know. Bring it by the shop. I got plenty of space. I'm here right now, and we can just pull it apart and look at it. Awesome. So I pull into this shop, and this guy, he's a semi-repair guy. Big operation. But he's super down to earth. So we chit-chatted a bunch, and he does his own fabrication, his own milling. He's got these really beautiful... Uh, spindles for semi wheels and semi axles that he's fabricated that he uses and then you know we get to talking a little bit more and he has his own gun targets and he fabricates his own slides for for his glocks and there's cool stuff so we had a great time anyway we pull the wheel off only to discover that the drum brake one of the drum brake pieces had ground into the um was rubbing really really hard on the disc it just it warped or something in there it's a carrier um thingy thingy it's a carrier piece of metal that carries um yeah so anyway um my theory was i told my dad earlier i was like you know it could be the brake is seized i mean it's an old brake and maybe it's stuck or something because there was that wheel that when i was spinning all the wheels there was one wheel that didn't really spin and my dad's like ah, it could just be stuck or frozen for a little bit and it'll spin once we get rolling it spun just fine <clears throat> but craig was like yep that's probably your problem right there 700 miles will heat that baby up really hot in fact it gotten so hot the part of the wheel like had been you know just residue from the heat and the metal like the wheel was white had gotten like really kind of dark so you're gonna have to get a new wheel there? no wheels fine it was just residue just hot residue burning off this sucker so anyway so i didn't so he as we were talking about what to do and he's like i was like just you know what i'm gonna replace all this anyway just cut it off he's like that's what i'm thinking so he fires up his plasma cutter chops it off bearings were fine so we put everything back together and um i take off again and i really appreciate him because it only cost me 150 bucks a couple hours of his time he was there he had no you know he was super capable like he's a guy i'd like to keep in touch with but um it was not, then the, the trailer ran i ran 60 the rest of the way and the hubs were perfectly cool and so that was the only major thing it only cost us two hours of delay so i was pretty thankful pretty that great. um 
I found something on a Saturday like that. And you were planning to come home in three days anyway, and you made yep. it in two pretty long days, but two days nonetheless. Yeah. So it's pretty great. It's pretty cool. I got I was I really kind of enjoyed getting out and like walking up to it and looking at the size of it and just like looking up and going, Ooh, I got my own old school piece of aluminum thing. I feel like it's kind of like a an airplane. I mean it is an airplane company, but it just has this like cool I've taken to calling her Big Sky Betty, and I feel like it, she needs like World War II bomber art on the t- on the back, sort of like a sort of like an airplane, sort of like a boat. But you know, when we get it finished in the same kind of the same color scheme, is be really cool hmm. as the paint you have ideas for. But anyway, so the adventure was good. Um, I tried engaging Titus in conversation, but he's like he just stuck his head in his Kindle and read his Harry Potter. Um, but it was interesting because he got, like, he just, he had no energy. Like, car, you know how some, like, dogs, like, when Olive gets in the car, she's like, and just sort of, like, it's like, acts as a yeah. sedative. Uh-huh. That's what, that's, I think, long car trips act as well, a sedative. Well, it makes him a little know. bit car sick, so this, the tired could have partly been mild. Well, I moved him up to the front too. seat, and he was like, Dad, I don't get sick up here. Yeah, it's good. Yep, that's why your mom doesn't ride in the back seat, dude. I never got car sick or motion sick at all until pregnancy. I got motion sick all the time. I didn't. Kid. I never had motion sickness. Only in the back seat of a car if I was reading too long. And on the open ocean, I've discovered since we got married. And I've been following your dad around doing things. But um, no, the house has been. What else have we done this month? We've spent a lot of time at the cabin. Um, catching frogs, having very dirty children, learning yeah. that you can actually wreck those unwreckable little buggies. They're not unwreckable. Everything is wreckable. Right. <laughs> I do have more Velcro for the, for the, uh, for the net. Yeah. You know, buggy. they didn't ride them at all the week that you were gone and they didn't miss them. Titus may have, but the two little girls didn't miss him at all. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I've had some conversations about just in the last month um, how hard the lockdown has been on single people who have been faithful about it, but not, um, you know, and so not seeing people, like hmm. not. You know, even phone conversations are not the same. Mm-hmm. And then um, we've been, um, I've had a couple conversations about how people who are trying to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Chaste, live with sexual integrity in the church, um, how much people in the church need to support them by being community because. If you're not married, um, whether you're in lockdown or not, you're prone to living a really lonely life. Like you yeah. just don't have somebody to come home to. You don't have the expectation. You don't have the automatic. I mean, not that married people automatically have intimacy, and I mean like emotional intimacy, but statistically, you're more likely to have a built-in conversation partner, someone to encourage you, someone to bounce things off of. Um, you know, the classic proverb, 
pity the person who falls down and has no one to help them up. And just how, if you're not married to someone, um, or you don't have really, really good roommates or live at home with your family of origin, um, how challenging it is to surround yourself with people who will help you up when you fall down. And so how important it is for people who are married and are busy in their own family life to be looking outside of themselves, looking for people who who need extra relationship and extra friendship in their lives. And yet they're trying to shape society in such a way that to prevent that. Well, I mean, not the, who's they? They. It's not they. Nobody's doing to, it intentionally. Trying, but trying to, to stop. I know nobody's doing it intentionally. But, but I think people are doing it to themselves. Like the whole social media thing. One thing that people don't realize is statistically speaking. Now I can't remember the exact statistic because it's been almost a year since they came out. But a government study showed that something like only two out of ten millennials would say that they have ten or more friends. And not even, like, close friends or confidants, just friends, real-life friends. Only one out of every five millennials um, say that they have ten people that they would consider real-life friends. And the statistics go up a little bit for, um, like, Gen X and baby boomers, and then... Like, the loneliness stats go way up again for elderly people. Hmm. I can't imagine what it's like for elderly people. I keep hearing of friends who, whose parents in nursing homes are literally losing their minds because they're not allowed to interact with other people, um, with their family. So they've just totally lost touch with reality lately. But, I mean, their loneliness even before all of this was was crazy high. So... I don't know. I've just been mindful in the last couple of weeks, again, of how important it is to be thinking outside of ourselves and looking for people who need just friendship and kindness and relationship and encouragement from our own experiences. Um, and just, um, just by being available to people, how much hope and um, life-giving power that has. That's my soapbox for the day. And it's very different than your Spartan <laughs> experience. <laughs> Except when I when I showed up, um you know, when I showed up my mom was I mean, I knew she was excited about us coming, but she cried when we got out of the car. Like she was that excited. I think it's pretty lonely for them. Yeah. You know, they've got some community, but they've you know, before they were ever able to get involved in the church on a personal level COVID hit and they're involved in some in some book reading groups and some small groups but it's all virtual yeah it's not quite the same it's not even remotely the same no it's just it doesn't it doesn't fill you know and we I, I we're we're really isolated here from a lot of this stuff we're really isolated from you know the um a lot of the COVID. Yeah, we're like a month and a half or two months into phase two opening. Yeah, stuff. I mean, but we kind of lived. I feel like we've lived life a little more normal. The only thing that was different is we didn't go out to eat or didn't go to concerts or movies, which we didn't do much of anyway. But 
We didn't go to church. We didn't see our friends. Church was church was a little bit different. Our yeah, kids we didn't see our friends for a little have bit. Have barely but. left our property other than our cabin. Um, and now church. You know, but it's we're we're pretty well. Yeah, it's very. It's much hard more to insulated. fathom. Yeah, it's hard to kind of. You know, I've, I mean, I've talked about this before. People in New York getting angry with me because. You're sort of like, living, living life. Sorry, I, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. I mean, you choose to live in New York. I'm living in Montana. Like, you got some perks I don't have. I've got some perks you don't have. I don't have to hate me for it. <laughs> yeah, but I think being surrounded by it and being so much more impacted by it, I think it would be harder. I think Montanans, for the most part, you don't see a lot of people living in fear. Um, no, that seems to be a big. And I think you you probably especially if you're someone who struggles with anxiety to start with, um, probably, you know, if, if it's everywhere you go and every aspect of your life is impacted by it, um, and your life has dramatically changed because of it, I think it would be very hard to not, A, be losing ground on your mental health, and B, be struggling with resentment at the rest of the country that is living life normally but um but i mean at the time when you reached out to those friends most of the country some i mean like 90 percent of the cases in the entire country were in new york city and so it made absolutely no sense for montana that had you know i mean i don't even i don't even know what our numbers look like now um i paid no attention i'd be surprised if we've had a thousand cases in all of montana um, you know, and so to, you know, to base our behavior on what's happening in New York is absurd. That's why we're a federal republic. And, um, you know, that's, I could get into another soapbox that I'm not, but that's why we have things like the Electoral College and the Senate, where every state gets two representatives, no matter how big they are, two senators, no matter how big they are, because we, you know, we would be overridden by the majority who live life completely differently than we do. And yeah. there's no incentive to be part of a country where a ma- majority that lives on either coast dictates what life should be like for people who have an entirely different lifestyle and an entirely different set of values and an entirely different set of needs than the people who are living on the coasts. Um, so that's, that's the reason for the electoral college in short. And every time we think about that, I just sort of marvel at how brilliant our founding fathers were that they put things like that into place, having no idea really like Montana didn't even exist. They didn't even know how far the country, how far the land mass of North America went. (laughs) I mean. I don't even, I'm trying to remember, the Transcontinental Railroad was not completed until probably close to 100 years after, now I have to Google it. I feel like we just celebrated like the 155th I can't, anniversary I... of the Transcontinental Railroad. I mean, it was the 1700s that they put together all that stuff. Right? Well, 1776, 1776 is when we became a country. When was the Louisiana Purchase was in eighteen railroad completed? Seventy, eighteen eighty. Eighteen sixty nine. So was the 
transcontinental? Yes. So that was the first time that you could ride a train all the way across the country. I mean, obviously, people were living in California, etc. by then. But, right. you know, as a milestone, um, you know, almost 100 years after they wrote the Constitution, we're getting unity and, you know, the... And yet they still had the forethought to to recognize that there would be vast differences that needed to have this more I mean, or less that's... brilliantly put together, you know, yeah. the three branches of government and the balance, yes, balance in the power. Senate and the House and the Electoral College. Well, and then there's, you know, you, you would think that a beneficial side effect of all of the COVID lockdowns and all the states and governors doing their own thing would remind people that the federal government doesn't have as much power as everybody wants to give them credit for. It's like and they, they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. It's like they the want to act. They want to act like. Everything. You know, they want to act like the buck stops. You know, they dictate what happens in the United States. No. They don't, you know, the states have far more control over how they want to operate as they should, as they should, than people realize for good measure. I mean, I can't think of a single, I mean, I'm sure there's vast differences among cultures in different countries, but you know, how much different is inner city, New York and rural Montana? How much different is urban, well, urban, if you can call Montana, you know, Billings, urban, urban Montana different than, you know, the Southern United States. It's like, we're on different, we're on different freaking planets. Well, technically we're not. There's, (laughs) there's such a, there's such a gap between Uh those two cultures. You know, the culture of inner city Memphis and Billings, Montana is wildly Worlds different. apart. We've got whole, yeah, we've got whole different dialects of the Eng- of the same English language going mm-hmm. on. We've got different issues. Yes, we have racism here, but it's against Native Americans. It's not against black people. Systemically. Systemically, yeah. it's not against blacks. It's against, it's against Indians. You know, and down there, they don't have those problems against Indians. India, what? We have Indians in the United States? I'm sure somebody is like, huh? Um, you know, it's, but it's just a whole different it's a whole different issue. Um, lifestyles are completely different. And it's it's, yeah. I don't want New Yorkers dictating how I should live my life or people from L.A. dictating how I should live my life because I don't live in L.A. and I don't live in New York. You guys run your life the way you want to run. Let's run our lives the way we want to run. This isn't rocket science. It's government. Stop telling me what to do! It's political science. Oh my gosh. Yeah, everything's been so heavily politicized and I'm even off social media for the most part and I still like get inundated with it unreal you can't just uh, unreal yeah. oh hmm well, I'm gonna change the subject again to be more happy um so yesterday you're pregnant <laughs> praise the lord no I love my children but no no um I had a conversation with someone this week, and she's like, I love my kids, but I really didn't like pregnancy. And I was like, I feel you. (laughs) You are preaching to the choir here, sister. (laughs) Um, But 
Um, so we had yesterday, we had a birthday lunch for our friend Sam and we decided to go, we always have breakfast for lunch and it's usually like scrambled eggs, bacon, toast, mm-hmm. um, hash browns. And he turned 72. 72. Yes. Sam's and awesome. I totally Sam, didn't... you're awesome. He's a fan of the show too. I totally didn't intend this at first. <laughs> But we made cute little cupcakes, and I was like, "Let's put sprinkles on it." What sprinkles do I have? We have this. We have a ton of sprinkles. Like our, we have a whole cabinet full of sprinkles. We have we have three girls in our family. Well, so Titus we was every, a sprinkle guy too. Yeah, way we before, have every sprinkle known to man. But um, but um, but I haven't bought them for a long time, so we're now kind of down to the dregs of all of these different. I should go post a picture of our sprinkle cabinet so I can show how we're down to the dregs of all, most of the sprinkles. But I had some dinosaur ones, so I put dinosaur sprinkles on Sam <laughs> on our cupcakes. That could be interpreted wrong. Sam babe. actually thought it was hysterical. So praise the Lord for Sam's sense of humor. <laughs> um, but um, but we decided to do eggs Benedict and then to have roasted asparagus with extra hollandaise sauce on it. And I have never done this before. Um, I've I've made hollandaise before in the blender, which is kind of the the hack for not for getting it to emulsify well. Because hollandaise is basically mayonnaise made with butter instead of oil, and it's got extra lemon juice in it. Um, and um, and so you, the old way that I have done is you drizzle the the melted butter into the blender as it's going and it emulsifies the that means puts in a suspension where the fats and the non-fats separate don't separate so it like if you have mayonnaise on a hot day and like it gets like this greasy layer that's unemulsifying basically um or a salad dressing some are like super creamy and well blended so um so you usually drizzle oil, butter, warm butter, in not hot enough to scramble the eggs. And then you have the blender whirring. But my problem is always, then you have most of the hollandaise, because it doesn't make much. You use three egg yolks and one stick of butter. So it's like like less than a cup worth of, like a little over half a cup worth of sauce. And you're scraping it out from around the tongs of the blender and it's thick and it's hard to get out. And it just is such a pain. So I discovered that you can make hollandaise with an immersion blender, which is how I make mayonnaise. And it's exactly the same method as making mayonnaise, which if you've never made mayonnaise before, it's crazy easy if you have an immersion blender. You just use a wide mouth um, mason jar, like the short ones, and you put your egg yolks down in the bottom and then you put your seasonings, like your I used paprika yesterday and then your lemon juice and some salt. And then you pour the, if it's mayonnaise, the oil, if it's hollandaise, the butter on top. And then you stick the immersion blender all the way down in the bottom and turn it on and just very slowly raise it up and kind of jiggle it around because the jar is a little bit wider than the blender. And by the time you get to the top, you have a perfectly creamy sauce that Mm -hmm. doesn't split. And that literally took like, besides melting the butter and letting it cool, less than 30 seconds of your time. And then you're not like trying to scrape it out. It's in a jar that you can just put on the table as the serving, you you know, the serving dish. Or you can spoon it straight on, you know, if you're making it fancy and plating things. Um, and so it was crazy easy. And then you're not scraping out the bottom of the blender trying to get to it. You just kind of tap out the immersion blender. And so anyway, if you're interested in making mayonnaise or hollandaise, highly recommend the immersion blender method. And 
That makes me want to read my passage. I brought my book down. Can I read our passage on Hollandaise? I was hoping you would just segue um, right into it. But okay. You, you asked permission. Well, it's, it's your show. You can talk about what you want. You can do what you want, babe, on your show. Okay. Well, it's our show. It's your show. No, it's not. You spent most of the time talking about a trailer. It's our show. I I think if we did a word, somebody should do this. If we did a word word count on who talks most, you'll you'll end up talking most on the show. But more people want to hear. Nobody wants to hear from me. They want to hear from you. I don't think anybody cares enough to do a word count. I don't think okay. anybody cares enough to hear about it from either of us. Okay. But go ahead. Read. Anyway, this um, is so. This is from. <clears throat> how much did I read? So before you get into this, before you get into this, Molly, I want to make a pitch for our Amazon associate account we're about to lose it because we haven't sold enough (laughs) (laughs) qualified sales so if you go to our website toobusytoflush.com click on the swag shack and scroll down and you'll see a link to all of our amazon recommended items this book she's reading from is on that list it already is it's been on the list for a while we've mentioned it before maybe we should make it easier to get to there's no other, there's no easier way to get to it. I know. You maybe just click should, through no, no, and no, buy no, it. I, maybe we should do like maybe through. we should be more active on a face on our Facebook page. We don't have a Facebook page. I thought we did. No. I thought you created one. No, I never created one. Oh. We don't have a Facebook page. We're not active on our blog. I know. We're terrible. <laughs> okay, so this is from Robert Farrar Capon. He wrote a book called The Supper of the Lamb. And it's he's a nineteen fifties Anglican priest. And this book is an utterly brilliant blending of theology of creation, not even just food or dining together, but creation in general, as well as a recipe for lamb, for lamb stew. Um, And so then, of course, it's called the Supper of the Lamb. So you end with heaven. well, in the meanwhile, getting a recipe, his, one of his favorite recipes. Um, and it was, um, it was published first. Now I have to pick it up and figure out when it was published first. So it was first published. Oh, I was wrong. In 1967. And then, um, he, um, he, this, he wrote a second preface for the second edition in 1989. So 20 years Mm -hmm. later, He's writing another preface, um, and he um, he says, I'm grateful to provide a new foreword to this. It's an odd cookbook serving up not only cookery, but also theology, Um, and he, he talks about how weird it is, but then also how incredibly natural it is that they're blended together, and he says... The major reason I think this improbable combination has proved successful is there is a habit that plagues so many so-called spiritual minds. They imagine that matter and spirit are somehow at odds with each other and that the right course for human life is to escape the world of matter into some finer and purer and undoubtedly duller realm. To me, that is a crashing mistake and it is above all a theological mistake. Because, in fact, it was God who invented dirt, onions, and turnip greens. God who invented human beings with their strange compulsion to cook their food. God who, at the end of each day of creation, pronounced a resounding good over his own concoctions. And it is God's unrelenting love of all the stuff of this world 
that keeps it in being at every moment. So if we are fascinated, even intoxicated by matter, it is no surprise. We are made in the image of the ultimate materialist. So he says food and cooking are not low subjects. There are no low subjects in the physical universe. Every real thing is a joy if only you have eyes and ears to relish it, a nose and tongue to taste it. But more than that, food and cooking are among the richest subjects in the world. Every day of our lives, they preoccupy, delight, and refresh us. Food is not just some fuel we need to get us going toward higher things. Cooking is not a drudgery we put up with in order to get the fuel delivered. Rather, each is a heart's astonishment. Both stop us dead in our tracks with wonder. Even more, they sit us down evening after evening, and in the company that forms around our dinner tables, they actually create our humanity. If this book has any claim to make, therefore, it is that food is precisely an epiphany of the greatness of our nature. Uh, so then he talks about how, uh, I think he's responding especially to from the 60s through the 80s, uh, food, he says food was reduced to, quote, food is only a necessity, food is nothing but nourishment, and then eventually he says food became identified as the enemy. Butter, salt, sugar, eggs are all out to get you. And yet, at our best, we know better. Butter is, well, butter. It glorifies almost everything it touches. Salt is the sovereign perfecter of all flavors. Eggs are, pure and simple, one of the wonders of the world. And if you put them all together, you get not sudden death, but hollandaise which in its own way is not one bit less a marvel than the gothic arch, the computer chip, or a Bach fugue. Food, like all other triumphs of human nature, is evidence of civilization, of that priestly gift by which we lift the whole world into the exchanges of the ultimate city, which even God himself longs to see it become. So then he says, this is the final paragraph in the foreword, which he actually is quoting the ending of the book and there's a clever end to that he says so now for a second time i wish this book godspeed it is still on target for all the things i think most need to be said we are not simply users of creation we are all of us called to be its offerers the world will be lifted as it was always meant to be by our priestly love we can you see take it with us it will be precisely because we loved this old Jerusalem of a world enough to bear it in our bones that its textures will ascend when we rise. It will be because our eyes have relished the earth that the colors of its countries will compel our hearts forever. The bread and pastry, the cheeses, the wines, and the songs that go into the supper of the lamb uh, will go into the supper of the lamb because we do. It is our love that brings the city home. I couldn't have said it better myself. So he's quoting himself, and then he says he couldn't. Robert Farrar Capen, The Supper of the Lamb. The link will be in the show notes. I highly recommend you get a copy. I was actually thinking, given the two two non Bible books we have in our house, that would be like people are like, what would you take to an island with you? Mm. You know, or like what are the two books I would want in my library? Supper of the Lamb, and Every Moment Holy. Yep. Which is just like. Those are the two books that come out most often around this house, which is great. He has so many great quotes, you guys. I could just quote after quote. After Literally, quote. this book is like is super dog-eared with 
we did we did a yeah we we did some stuff on dead reckoning too with the book it you prompted did. a whole a whole save you know sampling of interesting foods and whole segment of the show but anyway cool well that was a wonderful way to end the show i think feel like we talked a whole lot of nothingness but that's cool here we go again here we go again well we're gonna try to get back to weekly episodes um yeah i don't we don't have any more random national travel in our in our books we're gonna go to the cabin quite a bit but i think we have to come home to check on the cat and mow the lawn mow the lawn make sure we the garden well, pull, go, pull goat heads yes. you know how many goat heads i pulled tonight I, d- I actually wow. kind of do because I was the one who told you that you needed to pull them. That was a lot of goat heads. Um, you know, it's funny because I didn't pull nearly as much last summer. Last summer, I pulled a fraction of this amount. And, you know, they, they can stay in the ground dormant for, I think, up to five years. Um, and this year, a lot of them decided to just I actually sprout. pulled up a bunch of not nearly as big ones as the ones that were on the dirt piles, but along the edge of the lawn, like right mm-hmm. where the well is and... Um, Going into the garden, I probably yeah. pulled up twenty or thirty just teeny ones there. Just yeah, they it. won't they won't survive very well with all this grass. But I think with uh, just the the on those dirt piles though, they were dirt piles. They don't have any competition. I was kind of musing because you you were telling your dad tonight. You're like, I think that whole thing about them being watered, overwatered, you know, and then they die because there's too much water is a myth. They do really good where they don't have competition. And I was like, just like some people I know. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were gonna. We all to have that. We all have that friend from high school. He does really well without any competition, but he sort of acts like a weed. <laughs> Takes over, and you want to get rid of him. I thought you were gonna make it a spiritual thing. No, like our no, there's enough our sins. You know, no, like like the the parable, the parable oh, of um, when Jesus says that if you cast a demon out and he goes through the whole earth. And you sweep the house out clean, and then he doesn't find anywhere, so he gets a bunch of his friends and comes back and takes it over even more than right. than he was before he was cast out the first time. Um, you know, it's kind of like the goat heads, like, you know, right. or the, the principle, the replacement principle, you have to replace if you're telling a kid or somebody, you can't just say, just stop it. You know, you stop sinning. You have to have something good a fruit of the spirit to replace it with. And so you have to have the, the good more grass. good grass that's growing in our hearts, the less likelihood there is for the nasty weeds to grow out of control. But it's not a one-time thing either, like sin. You don't just get rid of it and it's done. You're still going to be dealing with the ramifications of that for years to come. Like, I'm still going to be pulling. We'll I fully probably expect... Probably have to keep an eye out for goat's heads forever. Forever, yeah. We just constantly need to stay on top of it. Otherwise, they overrun and overtake. It's it's kind of like an analogy for sin I heard for a while. Like, the the battle has been won. World War II was won, but they still had to do all the mop-up operation on the islands. You know, so it was like going in there and you're, you're losing battles on the islands. Even though you won the war, you still lost the... You're, you're, you know, you're, you were still battling on the islands. It's kind of the same concept... You know, uh-huh. even though, yes, I believe we have we have we've won, we have the, won the war head. against goatheads, but we're still going to be doing the remnant pickup until Christ year, returns. Until, yes, because goatheads are from the devil. Truly, the devil's weed. Truly, the devil's weed. That said, go visit us too busy to flush dot com two f. But more than that, you guys, we would really appreciate you sharing us with your friends. Shoot a post on Facebook of your favorite episode. Tell people to go listen to it. 
Um, send an email to a friend. Say, hey, I've really been encouraged by this. Uh, I really love these people. You like podcasts. You might like them. Um, you don't have to, but I'm asking you to because it, you know, growing an audience is always good. We don't want to talk to nothing. <laughs> There's, there is that. But uh, we do appreciate the um, encouragement. And don't forget, we have a swag shack. So if you want a hat, I'm going to pull down the Father's Day dad cap. So if you haven't picked up your dad cap yet, you better get on and order it really soon because it's coming down tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, you can order a tote bag if you're a homeschool mom. Tote bag for all your kids. <laughs> We're all homeschool moms right now. But the biggest hit out of everything in the store so far is the coffee mugs got to admit the coffee mugs are pretty are pretty fly it's and i will so own the fact that the chip in one is my fault is it really yeah boy elise was not happy this morning when, when she she's like how come i got the one with the chip like they all want to drink out of the two visitor flush mugs and i'm like you guys these are my mugs. yeah i dinged it with my soap jar that's okay I just soap jar. it's totally okay all right so it's been real it's been fun and um it's been real fun yeah, you were supposed to finish that for me. <laughs> I'm not that quick right now. <laughs> I'm not a witty person. People seem to think I'm witty. I'm not very witty. I have moments, but not usually. Anyway, all right. Well, have have a have a good uh, week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Yes. Bye.